All right, well, I want to, this morning, I get, it's tonight, today is just kind of a one-off teaching since Alan's going to be starting next, next week a series, and, and uh, Jason has finished up First John. And so, um, as I do a lot of times when I get a chance for a, a one-off, I just, I'm sharing something with you today that has meant a lot in my life these last uh, several weeks, and it actually has been an answer uh, to a prayer that I've had for much longer than that. And so... And it goes really closely along the lines of what Robert shared this morning. Robert, so I'm so thankful that you shared about this idea of intimacy with God, because what I'm going to share with you today, in some ways, uh, it, you might think of it as, a, as a, uh, a real key to keeping our intimacy with God um, you know, where it should be. But at the very least, I think you would be able to consider what I'm going to share with you today a real key. A, a possible real hindrance to our intimacy with God, and uh, and I just I think if if everybody here is a believer, uh, I would assume that you would say that intimacy with God is is one of the uh, one of the primary benefits uh, of, of of being a believer. You know, we're no longer uh, slaves or, or hirelings outside. We're 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 given the right to be called sons of God. We we are. In fellowship with Him, and I, I know, uh, even in just just hearing uh, last weekend uh, the teaching that that Brother Jeff brought to us, uh, just reminded me again of the benefits that we have this side of the cross of being able to say that through Jesus we've been given the right to be called sons of God. That we we do have the opportunity to walk in intimacy with Him, uh, but the. the the teaching's not on intimacy; it's it's on a, a different different topic. But it is, uh, while this may be a uh, a topic that we're going to talk about, my goal is that it would be uh, all biblical, everything about it coming from the scripture. I want to know everything about this topic. And this is the way I typically approach things. I'll be reading the scripture. I'll come across a verse. I'll come across something that I don't feel like I really understand, and then I'll just spend. Uh, weeks, sometimes months, uh, even longer sometimes, just seeing what the Bible has to say about that topic so I can understand the concept, the truth that God may want me to understand. So if you will turn, we're going to start in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 today. Got quite a few verses that I'll share with you. We'll talk more about this passage that I'm going to read in 1 Timothy chapter 1 a little bit later. But I want to start out with it because I want you to uh, just begin to think in your mind with me about the importance of what, what Paul is about to say to Timothy in this letter. This is verse 18. Uh, and this, this is Paul dealing with, uh, you know, he's writing Timothy. Timothy uh, had, been, had been left to, to work with, with churches. Um, and, you know, just like we've seen in other places, even in 1 John uh, and, and as we went through Galatians, when um, you know when, when our uh, our beloved brother was teaching uh, teaching through Galatians, we uh, we see often in the Scripture when these letters are written in New Testament churches that the New Testament churches were infiltrated with false teaching, and so once again Timothy was dealing with that, and Paul's Paul's encouraging Timothy to uh, to fight against that, war against that, you know, try to put. Put out of the church false teaching and the people that are uh, involved in false teaching. And so that's when he says this charge, I entrust to you. That's kind of what he's referring to. He's referring to 
this charge that he had given to Timothy for Timothy to, to, you know, to fight against that false teaching that was in the church. But he starts out in verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. You see the, the closeness that Paul and Timothy had there. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. I'm going to say it again, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So again, we're going to come back to this verse a little bit later, but I want you to, to start out our time talking today with the idea of it is possible for a believer to shipwreck their faith. Now, I haven't really gotten a chance to do too much, uh, you know, actually no sailing in my life and very little uh, on, on the open seas, any kind of dangerous type, uh, you know, out in a boat, out in the water. There could be a potential of something going bad. All the experience that I've had on the water have been safe little, you know, the Watts Bar Lake in Tennessee where we kind of knew land. We always saw land and we could always even swim to land if we needed to. We've had, we've had some really uh, interesting stories over, uh, over my childhood out on the water, but nothing like what Paul's talking about here. And I just want to tell you as somebody who cares about you, who loves you, if it is possible for a believer to shipwreck their faith, I just want you to understand, and as I've been seeking the Lord and trying to understand for myself, how do we avoid what Paul is referring to here? And he says it's by rejecting this. What what are they rejecting? Some have shipwrecked their faith. So let's think for just a, a little bit about what role the conscience plays in the life of a believer. What does it mean? These are the questions that we're going to answer. What does it mean to have a good conscience? How much effort should we give to keeping our conscience good? How do we know if we have a good conscience? How important is it uh, in the life of a believer? How important is the role of, a con- of the conscience? I mean, we have the Holy Spirit. Do we, do we still uh, need to rely on our conscience for some part to play in the life of us walking with the Lord? Hopefully we'll answer the question, can a person be happy in this life without a pure or good conscience? Can a person's conscience be deceived? And what can happen if we have a deceived conscience? How do we know and how can we know if our conscience is deceived? And then how do we get back to a good conscience if our conscience is unhealthy? So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk with you for a few minutes about the conscience. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for about 36 years, and for some reason, I've never really studied the principles or the truths found in God's Word about the idea of a healthy conscience. Maybe you have, and it seems so simple. I was thinking this week as I was studying this, I mean, man, it seems so elementary. Like when, I, when I've talked about it with a few people, just kind of getting their ideas and sharing with them some of the thoughts I had, it just, you know, kind of, they had the same response I did. It just seems so easy and so simple, but yet, it's profound in its application, and it's, uh, I would say, foundational to, uh, you know, to our walk with, with, with the Lord and even, as we'll see, uh, life in itself. So let's start out by talking about what is the conscience. You may not uh, have ever thought about this, but in Genesis chapter 2, that's really where we see the conscience kind of come into, into existence. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And so God said to them, said to man, said to Adam, that that tree, he he called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And really, that is what the conscience is all about. It is our ability to know good and evil. And it all started in the garden, and God told them to stay away. So God's plan from the very beginning was for Adam to not know anything of the conscience. Up until this point, everything was good. Adam only knew good, and there was no knowledge of the difference between good and evil because all Adam knew was good. And God warned him and said, if you eat of that tree, things are going to change and you're going to know both good and evil. You're going to have a conscience. And we know this story. We're going to go to it a little bit later again. But the conscience, what happened after they ate of that tree? Their conscience brought them shame because they knew they had done wrong. God didn't have to go to them and tell them, hey, you ate of that tree, you did wrong. They knew they had done wrong. And that's what our conscience does. It brings shame when we do wrong. And here comes the vital part. And here's where Adam and Eve messed up even more. What we do with what our conscience tells us about doing right and wrong, what we do about that right or wrong that we've done and that we've now been made aware of is vitally important. In the life of Adam and Eve, we know that as soon as they knew they had done wrong, They did the opposite of what God would teach us to do. They did the opposite. They made a cover and they hid from God. And I will tell you that as we go through this, you'll see that our guilty conscience, when we know that we've done wrong in in our lives as believers, when we know that we've done wrong, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to be tempted to try to cover it up, hide it from people, hide it even from God, by hiding from God. You'll see this as we go through, but it is impossible for a believer to have a healthy prayer life and a healthy intimacy with God if we are continually walking with undealt guilt from our conscience. The idea of this word for conscience, the Greek word, means self-awareness or self-witness. It's like this internal voice that is judging and telling us whether we've done right or wrong. You see, we are allowing the light, so, so God is light, in Him there is no darkness. God is light, and he is, he is always through the Holy Spirit bringing truth to us from His Word, from the people that are around us that, that know God and walk with God and, and, are, and are sharing truth and love. Truth is coming to us. Light is coming to us. We're being exposed to that light, and whenever our conscience that knows what is true, knows what is right, when our conscience sees us do something wrong, our conscience exposes that to us and it brings shame. So our conscience is that inner voice, that witness to us that something that we've done is wrong. I used to think of it like a compass. 
or some kind of, you know, for those of you that fly planes, some kind of a, uh, of a gear or some kind of something on the, the panel of the, of the plane. But think of a compass for a second. I'd be kind of curious here, how many of y'all know how to, use, like, really know? If I threw you out in the middle of a, of a mountain and I, and I gave you the coordinates of where to go and I told you how to find, you know, find safety, how many of you would know how to, and I gave you a compass and that's all I gave you, how many of y'all would know how to use that compass to find safety? Raise your hand up real big. All right, those of you that don't have your hand up, you need to get to know these people because if you're ever in trouble, you need people like this in your life, right? So what's the point of a compass? A compass tells you what true north is. And if you know, how to, if you know what to do with that information, you can use that information to get yourself back to safety if you're lost. It's always pointing you in the direction of true north supposed to be anyway. What can happen if the compass gets damaged in some kind of way or something happens in the... I, I, when I was a kid, I remember having a compass one time. It did not work, right? And like everywhere, every time I would turn, it's like, it, like sometimes it would point that way as north and, some, and it just did not work right. So I would not recommend that as the, the device that you carry in your pocket in case you get lost. It's not going to help. But if a compass is not working properly, it can make you get more lost. You can go from being in trouble to being in even worse trouble. You see, compass is kind of like, uh, or our conscience inside of us is kind of like a compass always pointing us towards righteousness. And when it's off, when something isn't healthy with our conscience, it can point us in the wrong direction. I think about the Pharisees and their time with Jesus and how unimpressed he was with their righteousness that they thought that they had. They had such a, a self-righteousness about themselves that they felt like they had no need of a Savior even coming. And Jesus even made the statement that, you know, I didn't come for those that were, that were well. I came for the sick. And he was not complimenting them. He, wasn't, you know, he, was, he was using wordplay to let them know that really... You think you're well, but you're actually the ones that are sick. You see, their compass was way off. And they thought they were doing the right thing, so much so that their compass led them, their conscience led them to crucify the Son of God, the Creator of all things, that was putting breath in their lungs as they yelled their blasphemous insults and their blasphemous uh, accusations to the, uh, towards the Lord Jesus who had done nothing wrong, Jesus was the one that actually gave them the breath in their lungs to hurl those accusations at Him. Their compass was that far off. Somebody who has a compass that is, that, or a conscience that is off would be someone who thinks they are right. They're many times, most of the time, eat up with pride thinking that they are better than others because they're comparing themselves to other people, but they don't even realize their compass is broken. And they are actually the one that's weak. The dangerous part about having a broken compass or having a conscience that is unhealthy is that you are the one that thinks that you are strong, but really you're the one that's weak. Have you heard about the little girl that somebody asked, do you know what a conscience is? Her reply was, oh yeah, it's something in me that tells me when my little brother is doing wrong. And that really is the way that some people look at the conscience. 
They think of it as something inside of them that, that, that gives them the ability to tell when other people are doing wrong. And I would say, no, that's more of discernment, and that's not what we're talking about. The conscience doesn't tell you that they're wrong. The conscience tells you that you're wrong. And so our conscience was birthed at the Garden of Eden. There was no need for a compass before Adam and Eve sinned. There was no need for a monitor or a gauge to tell them the difference between right and wrong, between sin and righteousness. For Adam and Eve only knew what was good until they partook of the forbidden fruit. But then they knew good and evil, and then they had a conscience. Now, I want to tell you real quick, I want to make one thing very, very clear. Our conscience does not justify us before God. So if you at any point during me teaching this, or if you begin to think, oh, Gerald's telling me that that if I can just get my conscience clean, that God will be happy with me. Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 4, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself. What Paul is saying there is that I have a pure conscience here. My conscience is clean. I know of nothing that I've done against you or against God. But here's what he says, But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord Jesus who judges me. I want to make sure you're really, really clear that the conscience is something that God has put inside of us for us to be able to judge for ourselves whether we are doing right or wrong. But in the end, when we stand before God, even if you have a clear, if you're an unbeliever and you have a clear conscience, if your compass is so far off that you can stand before God one day and say, oh God, I'm, I'm standing here as one who has a clean conscience but you've never been washed in the blood of Jesus, you've never been born again, then I promise you that your conscience is not going to be able to do one thing in your testimony to the Lord when you stand there before Him in judgment. So we're not talking about you having a clear conscience so that you can stand before God and, 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 and testify to Him, I have a clear conscience, let me in. That's not going to happen. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit that at the end because it's so important. I don't want you to get the wrong idea about what the conscience is. I'll say to you now, the source of our forgiveness is not the conscience. A good conscience doesn't bring forgiveness, but forgiveness brings a good conscience. I'm going to say that again because I really like that statement. (laughs) A good conscience does not bring forgiveness, but forgiveness does bring a good conscience. All right, so we must do the right things and go to the right person to find forgiveness, and that, of course, is Jesus, not you and you trying to clean your own conscience. Okay, so that's a little bit about what the conscience is. Do I have any questions or statements or thoughts about what is the conscience before we move on to talk about the importance of it? Any thoughts that have to do with what the conscience is? All right, well, let's talk for a second about the importance of the conscience. How does that line up with the when people say, I'm following your gut, you know, how does that relate to that? Yeah, I mean, that, when somebody says, I'm following my gut, they may be saying that they're following their conscience. You know, they're following maybe, sometimes I think people are saying they're following a hunch. Like I have a, my gut tells me I should eat it, you know, uh, somewhere healthy instead of McDonald's or my, I don't know. Some, they, they may be thinking about like a hunch that they have. Uh, but other people might be referring to, I'm following my conscience. 
And we'll talk about that a little bit because that can be, a, it can be extremely dangerous if our conscience is unhealthy. And so we've got to make sure, and, how, and we'll talk about that, how do we make sure that our conscience is healthy. Um, but yeah, hopefully some of these uh, verses and things that we talk about will kind of touch on that some. Yeah. So um, I just want to, maybe it's stating the obvious, but the conscience is yours, not the Holy Spirit. Right. Absolutely, because unbelievers have a conscience. So the Holy Spirit will bring truth, conviction of sin to that unbeliever, and then their conscience takes over, and what they do with that is what's vital. You know, they, they can either recognize it and repent and think different about themselves and about God and repent about their sin, repent and turn to God, or they can do what most people do is when the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment, they try to clean their conscience themselves and try to find some way to get that thought out. That's why people get so angry, I believe. That's one of the reasons why people get so angry when they hear the gospel. We scratch our heads. And I watch Matthew's videos all the time, and I'm like, I don't, how do they get, why do they get so, why they get so angry? It's, their, it's a lost person's conscience. They know they're guilty, and they want, it to, they want the person that's telling them that they're guilty and reminding them and bringing truth to them, they want that person to stop telling them that because their conscience is agreeing with it, and they can't stand it. And they want it to go away. And they'll spend all of their life trying to make it go away. And it, and it will never happen. So to the point, that's where, I guess, it's your conscience. You've got to own it. You can't divest yourself and say, oh, well, the, I'm being controlled or all these. I mean, I'm, I, and it's more to say, I guess, that we can talk. Yeah, this is definitely a topic. That 45 minutes or so is not, is not going to cover it all. It's taken me weeks to study through it. I think I had 19 pages of notes, and I whittled it down to 18 pages for y'all. So, no. <clears throat> yeah. All right. So, yeah, and that's, that's part of what we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later, I think, is maybe what you're getting out of, you know, he has a conscience, she has a conscience, and uh, we have to be careful that, this person isn't trying to force this person to obey their conscience. But we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. All right, so point number two here that we're going to get to is, is it important? Since I have the Holy Spirit, what role does the, does the conscience play in my life as a believer? Is it important? Here for a while I thought, well, you know, I don't want to trust my conscience. I kind of tied the conscience and the heart together, and I don't want to trust that. I only want to trust the Holy Spirit but then the more I looked into the Scripture, the more I realized the conscience plays a vital role. That's why I don't understand why in 36 years I've never taught on this and I've, and I've never heard somebody teach on it. But yet it's so simple and foundational to our walk with God that I believe it's something that we not only need to address this morning, but it's something that you need to go back. This is one of the things I want to tell you is that this will be something that if you really care, if your conscience lead you to think, I need to really pay attention to this. This will be something that you need to go home and spend time with the Lord, spend time thinking through these things and letting God work in your life in this area. But is it important? In Acts chapter 24, verse 16, Paul's giving a testimony to to his Roman leaders that are holding him, and eventually he would be in prison because they wouldn't uh, you know, they wouldn't believe him or they wouldn't let him go based on, on his testimony alone. But here's what he said in Acts twenty four sixteen. Paul said, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience be, be, uh, toward God 
both God and man. Paul said, I always, not, not sometimes, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. I had to look up the word there for pains to see exactly what it was referring to and talked to Parker a little bit about it over the weekend. And, and really that word just means like exercise, training. I had a picture in my mind of somebody who, uh, you know, who, who really works out hard at the gym. You know, that's not me. I know you can tell that. I, I kind of wish it was. I, I wish I worked out more. But I meet people, man, and I see them and I'm like so impressed. And I'm like, man, the discipline that they have to train and train and just build muscle and be so strong. And that's really, to me, the picture of what I think Paul was getting at when he used that word pains. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like it was just a little something that he checks off the box and says, okay, done, did that today. It sounds like something that he practiced and trained and exercised. And so this morning, I want to challenge you and encourage you and exhort you to exercise your conscience. Take the things that I'm going to share with you today and make it a part of your life as a believer to always have a good and pure conscience. Before, he didn't just say toward God. Most of us wish that he would just stop there, that I could just be okay with God. But the problem is our walk with the Lord is not just about you being okay with Him. It's about you being okay with them. It's why there's so much about how the church functions as a church and how they love each other. It's why Paul was so, uh, you know, so strong in his words when he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 11. And he said, it's why some of you are sick and dying. God was not happy with these people because they weren't loving each other. And they weren't listening to their conscience. If they would have stopped, if their compass would have been working properly and they would have paid attention to it. Their compass would have told them, this is not what Jesus prayed for. Jesus prayed for unity, and there's division in our body. But Paul said he took great pains. He exercised, trained, effort that he put into having a clear conscience, not just with God, but toward men men as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. So Paul even went to the... I was talking to Carter about this uh, a week or so ago. Um, it almost sounds like Paul's being arrogant in this statement, but he's not. He's just, he is innocent because he continually trained and exercised his conscience to be to make sure it is pure and it is good. And therefore he could stand and his testimony to these people was, I'm, I'm clean before you because I have done everything that I can to make sure that there's nothing between us. And that was the testimony. His testimony was his conscience. What were you going to say, Peter? Go ahead. I just wanted the reference for that verse. Oh, for that verse, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Yep. And then in Hebrews chapter 13... The writer says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And we think that the the prayer there that he's asking for, there must have been some persecution coming 
We know that in Hebrews it dealt with that uh, quite a bit, but, but that persecution that was also coming to Paul and the other disciples, that persecution, the writer is saying, we have a clear conscience. So we know the persecution is not because of anything we've done. This is true persecution for the sake of the, of the cross. I just wanted to point out to you that once again, it was in his mind, even when he was being persecuted, even when he was given testimony to other believers, it was on his mind to make sure that his conscience was clear. So the conscience is a part of the life of the believer, and I would say a vital part. Any questions about the importance? Are you, are you convinced that the conscience is something that we need, to be, uh, we need to be thinking about and that we need to be addressing and training and exercising to keep it healthy and pure? Any questions about that part of it? Ms. Colton. There's a, a kind of a pitfall that I, I struggle with. It's like, I think it's, it's obvious with something like uh, Christian liberty drinking, but then like the self-righteous side. Is that it, it, so? It's like it's obvious if, if I'm saying, well, I've been, you know, I can't be getting drunk, but then my conscience doesn't bother me as much when it's like I'm looking down at people that that maybe enjoy alcohol, which is totally wrong. Right. But it's that it's that self-righteous. Yeah. yeah, we're going to deal with that because I think that that example, while you're, you're talking about the idea of alcohol drinking, very similar to the meat offered to idols, and we're going to, we got that as one of the areas that we're going to address. But you're right, you know, that if there's something that's not clearly forbidden, some people call it, it's a gray area, whatever you want to call it, it's not clearly forbidden, and somebody has a freedom to be able to do that thing, but you don't have that freedom, that's where the rub comes in because you can't take that freedom that you have and look down on the person that doesn't have that freedom, but they're doing it as under the Lord. So who are we to, you know, as, as Romans says, who are we to judge that person? So, so there is this, this tension between my conscience and your conscience uh, coming into conflict. We're, we'll deal with that in just a minute. All right, so we've talked a little bit about the, uh, the role that it plays uh, in the life of the believer. You know, is it important? I think it is. Hopefully you agree. But I want to show you why it's important. We kind of already touched on, on this. We're going to go back to our First Timothy passage, why it's important, and what can happen if our conscience is not good or good and healthy or pure, if the compass is broken, in other words. So go back to First Timothy chapter 1. And in verse 5, Paul, in, in writing to Timothy, and again, he's, he's encouraging Timothy. Timothy apparently was, you know, was having some struggles. He's, he's there in the church trying to, trying to lead this, this church in the right way and trying to protect it. And there were people in there that were teaching uh, false doctrines. And Paul says to, to Timothy in verse 5, the aim of our teaching or our charge is, I just love this, man, I highlighted this and you know, probably uh, spent more time meditating on, on this verse than any other while I was studying this. But listen to what he says, the aim of our charge. This is what, what Paul was hoping to accomplish in the life of Timothy and through Timothy in this church that Timothy was, or these churches that Timothy was ministering to. Here's the aim. Here's the goal. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Just think about those three words, love, 
or pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith, those four kind of words or phrases. That was the goal. That's what Paul wanted to see happen in Timothy's life. He wanted Timothy to, to live this out before the church, and, and, and through Timothy, he wanted this to be true of, this, of these churches. Love that issues from or comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, in some of the other verses that you look up about the conscience, you're going to see that faith and conscience are closely tied together. So why is that? Why can you, why, why can you imagine or what, what, what reason could we think that faith and, and a good conscience are closely tied together? Yes, Matthew. Scripture says that anything not done in faith is sin. Yeah, absolutely. That's the tie-in. If your conscience is good, your faith will be sincere. But if you sin, if you do something that you can't do by faith, it's sin. And if you sin, your conscience is going to be guilty and your faith is not sincere. If you walk around to, to your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're not obeying a good, sound, pure conscience, then you have to fake it. Your faith is not sincere. That word sincere means that it is, that is, be, it is pretending or simulated. You know, we like to uh, play, sometimes play video games when we're, uh, you know, when we're in our downtime. Or maybe when we need to be doing something else and we're just trying not to be doing that, we want to play games. I don't know. But if you ever have ever played a simulator-type game like the, like the airplane games. You know, I remember Microsoft had their flight simulator game. And you're not really flying a plane but sometimes it can kind of rope you in and you think you are. You think that that's the real thing. So much so that when you crash, you might even yell and think, and then you look and you go, oh, I'm okay. No big deal. Because it, it was all simulated. It's not real. A sincere faith is one that is walking closely to the Lord and everything that you do, you're doing by faith as unto the Lord. And when you, when you mess up and you will, when you sin... The Holy Spirit will be involved in that, reminding you of the truth of what you've just disobeyed in your walk with the Lord, and your conscience takes over and says, yeah, you did that. Yeah, you did that. And what you do next, like I said, is vital. We'll get to that in just a minute. But if you don't do what God requires of you in that moment when your conscience has told you you've done wrong, if you push that away, when now you're no longer walking by faith, you're walking in your own way, and when you're around your brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what you have to do? You have to put on that fake Sunday smile, and when people say, how are you doing? No, oh, I'm doing good. Brother, how are you doing? It's not sincere. When you were going to say something, go. Uh, there's another scripture. I can't remember what it is. Uh, he that knows to do right and does not do it to him in his sin. Yeah. And that deals with the conscience. Yeah, well. that's right. Yeah, if your conscience is good, if it's working, if it's healthy and it's pure your faith is going to be sincere. But then he goes on in verse 18, so go down a little bit in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And this was our verse I read a little while ago. So again, going back to this charge, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. Paul's reminding Timothy, because apparently this was hard for Timothy. We know Paul also told Timothy to, to drink a little wine to help ease this. Apparently, Timothy was under a lot of stress, and this was not an easy situation for him. 
So I tend to think that the reason why Paul is reminding Timothy about these prophecies is just to try to boost him up. Remind him of what God's done in your life. Some of you this morning may need to be boosted up. Maybe you're at a place where the stresses of life and the things and the cares of this world have got you to a place and you've forgotten. Maybe not about prophecies that were made about you, but just the, the, the relationship and the things that happened in your life when you became a new believer. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning and take some time just to remember, man, you remember how, I don't know if you were like me, but I was 16 when I became a believer. Were you excited when you became a believer? Was there something in you that was just so, like, I mean, you felt like you could, you could, uh, you know, we used to use the phrase charge into hell with a little squirt gun. You know, you just felt like so uh, alive and ready to, to do whatever God wanted to do. And I don't know if you're like me, it didn't take all that long before things started happening. I'm, I'm going to argue today that my conscience, I didn't learn about this, these principles and the excitement and the, uh, just the feeling of, I'm clean, I'm clean. You know, all of that was, was, was hurt. Pretty soon after I became a believer and I realized that I'm still going to sin, I'm still going to have dirty feet that need to be washed. Nicholas, you were going to say something. I just wanted to, this is actually one of these questions, but um, it's just a clarification of the difference between the conscience and then our convictions. Are they, do they overlap? Are they different things? Or is it like the convictions are more from the Holy Spirit and the conscience is yeah. what we do with those convictions? Or So that last part is, is, is more like it. So a con, the conviction would be something that you hold as this is, this is a, a truth that I hold on to. Okay, I'm not going to eat this, this meat because it was offered to idols. My conviction is I'm not going to do that. The conscience comes into play when you eat it anyway. Maybe people are around you eating it, and they kind of tempt you, and you feel embarrassed. that You're the only one not eating that meat, and you decide to go ahead and eat it anyway. That's when your conscience comes in, and now your conscience. We're going to talk about that again in just a few minutes, but that's the difference. The conviction would be, you know, I, I believe this to be, to be true, I've made a judgment. A conviction is a judgment. I made a judgment, and I believe this to be true. And sometimes we can be, we can have convictions that are that are biblical, and sometimes we can have convictions that are not biblical. But what we'll see in just a minute is our conscience can make us can make us uh, feel guilt on either side. Even things that aren't necessarily biblical, we can still feel very convicted about you know whatever that that conviction is. So I got to have a couple other hands. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. You said something earlier, I tried to ask a question, and you didn't see me. I may have missed it in your address, but you said it will all. You're talking about unbelievers, I believe, in the context. You said it will always be there, but it won't always be there, right? And are we going to address that? Because their conscience will eventually dull and be seared. So what I'm saying by their conscience, a human being, even on their deathbed, will still have a conscience. It just may be that they have tuned out the truth from God, but they still are going to, people are still going to say, oh, I can't do that. Right. You know, I can't eat, I'm a vegetarian, I can't eat meat. You know, why? Oh, I might, you know, I just can't. It's bad. They do t- terrible things to those animals. Okay, well, that's just their conscience telling them they can't eat that. Has nothing to do with spirituality, has nothing to do with their relationship with God. The Holy Spirit would have at some point in their life convicted them of sin and righteousness and judgment, and they would have pushed that out. I'm not saying that lasts with them forever. And I had one more. Some people don't have a conscience, right? So we're going to talk about that. Yeah, that that would be called a 
uh, I call it a numb conscience or a, or a, a seared conscience. Yeah. The conscience is still there. It's a part of the human body. It's just they, they literally can't feel it. And that's where you get into some... Yeah. Some, some serious stuff. You know, I've seen electricians stick their finger in a live socket to see if it's live or not. Most of us wouldn't do that. But if you build up enough calluses on your hand, you, you don't really feel that electricity anymore. Yeah. You're seared to it. Yeah. And that's what it is with your conscience. When it's seared, you yeah. just don't feel the conviction anymore. Yeah, that's a great illustration. Yeah, the, the power is still there. The convi- I mean, it, you know, the truth is still there. You just can't, you're just numb to it. Would that kind of be what God, they say God turns people over to the reprobate mind? Absolutely. That would be what that is, right? Yeah. Yeah, because this message is for believers, I didn't, uh, I didn't want to go down the road of talking about, well, what about an unbeliever and the conscience of an unbeliever? We could spend a whole, uh, you know, a whole teaching time on that, but that's exactly right. That's that Romans uh, passage touched on that, and it's in my notes that didn't get, uh, didn't make the cut. That was that one page. That was that one page I left out. That's right. <clears throat> All right, so make sure that before I go on that there's no other hands that popped up. All right. So back to verse 18, this charge I trust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance to the prophecies previously made about you, that by then you may wage the good warfare. Okay, so I, you know, I'm not going to spend much time on it. We've addressed this many times. If you, don't, if you don't view life on this side of heaven as warfare, then just you're viewing it wrong because it is warfare. There's an enemy that hates you and wants to destroy you and your family, and, and you can plug up your ears all you want and close your eyes all you want, but just know that that doesn't change anything. He still hates you, and he's still trying to destroy you. That's why the armor is important. And even the conscience, I think, ties into the armor of God. I'm not going to go into that, but as I was studying, I mean, that's why it's, uh, in our lives, the enemy is always trying to destroy you. I just believe that he hates everything about you because you are in God's image, and he hates that. But he is telling, Paul is telling Timothy to fight the good warfare. And he says in verse 19, holding faith, and a good conscience. So there again, conscience and faith, kind of there together. And he says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So Paul gives the inevitable outcome of, of an ignored conscience. A person eventually gets to a place where they can't tell the truth from lies, right from wrong, life from death. This wreckage doesn't happen overnight. This is not something where they just woke up one morning and, and they, you know, the, the ship was, it was on the rocks. The path that, was, that they had got, started down started way back there. So the compass was off, and they began to go down roads that they weren't supposed to go down that eventually, and I would say inevitably, led to the ship being wrecked. So it doesn't happen overnight. And I would say it just starts with a simple no that is said to the conscience and the Holy Spirit's work in us to convict us of our resistance or quenching of His work, which the Scripture says and calls grieving Him. So I would say to you that somebody who has a shipwrecked faith, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second, but it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. It starts with a path that somebody goes down, and it starts with a simple, a simple no that they said to the Lord. Holy Spirit brings a conviction, a truth to them of something that they've done wrong. Their conscience is in agreement with that and says, you've done wrong Here's the truth. And in their mind, rather than doing what God's told them to do, which we'll get to that, instead of doing what God's told them to do, they push it away and say no. That begins the journey. 
That begins the journey of somebody who their conscience is getting weaker. And then the next time something comes along and the Holy Spirit reminds them of a truth, it's like he's, he's so good at doing and Jesus promised he would do, reminds us of a truth. Our conscience agrees with that and says, yeah, you did that. And they say no again, and their conscience gets a little weaker, a little weaker. I would say to you that one of the reasons why a person's faith can be shipwrecked and their conscience can lead to like disastrous results is because little things never became a big thing to them. In your life, and, and, and so, you know, you, your mind might be going, this is, this is the problem with teaching a message like this. It's so easy for us to begin thinking about other people, but just remember, the con- I'm talking about you, and I talked about me way before I'm talking about you. I talked you know, with the Lord about my conscience and what's going on in my life for weeks before I ever brought this to you. But don't let your mind go to thinking about other people. Think about you in your relationship with your spouse if you're married, with your children if you're a parent, with your boss if you work somewhere. If you even say no to the slightest thing, you, you mouth off and say something that, like as a husband, something harsh to your wife, that may not seem like that big of a deal. And you may think, I'm justified in it. It's no big deal. Well, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will desire to convict you of that and remind you of the truth of the Scripture telling us not to speak harshly to our wives. And the moment that you push that off and you don't address that immediately, your conscience is now a little bit weaker. The right thing to do is to immediately say, God, I'm going to agree with you on this. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but I'm going to agree with you on this. That was wrong. And you make it right, right there, right then. As soon as you possibly can, you make it right. So whatever it is, the shipwrecked faith didn't happen overnight. It started on a journey where somebody began to say no to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, bringing truth to them and their conscience saying, and you were guilty of that truth, and they said no. I've prayed this many times, and I'm going to say it again. What would a church look like if it was filled with people that never said no to the Lord? Not even once. If the slightest thing came out of their mouth, or even the thought. Now, with a thought, you don't necessarily need to go to somebody and apologize, maybe. But, but a thought comes to, the, to that person's mind, and they don't just, eh, it's no big deal. No, they make it a big deal, and they say, no, Lord, that thought, that was not from you. That's not something of, uh, of my new creation. And so, God, I agree with you. That was, that was not right, and I, I accept your forgiveness in that. Amen. I will say to you, some of the commentators disagree on this, but I, I'm, I feel convinced that the, the two believers, if you read on, uh, Paul names two, two people, two individuals in the church that were uh, individuals that apparently had done exactly what Paul's telling Timothy. People, you know, maybe they disagree on whether they were real believers or not, but I do believe these are believers that, that Paul is addressing. And that kind of goes back to the idea of some have shipwrecked, have made a shipwreck of their faith. You know, unbeliever never really has faith to shipwreck. They were shipwrecked from day one. Um, 
So I don't know. I, I, I think that we are, we, are, we are dealing with people that have said no. Their consciences got weak and weak and weak. Eventually it got defiled. That word that, you know, got sick. And eventually it just became numb. And they, you know, they couldn't tell right and wrong. And they began to see their life go down this disastrous road. So I'll say to you just a couple other things about this. And then I'm going to move on. Sometimes we suffer in life because we don't listen to the Spirit working through our conscience. I would say that perhaps the most dangerous believer is one that has an unhealthy conscience. Wreckage follows them. But I would also say, and I said this to Chris and Steve maybe a couple weeks ago, perhaps the most powerful believer, as again Robert mentioned in his sharing this morning, perhaps the most powerful believer is one that has a healthy conscience. It's good, it's pure, because that person has no hindrance in their walk with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit is constantly producing in them love and joy and peace. You see, your guilty conscience that you've ignored, your weak conscience will get in the way of you having peace. How can you ever have the Holy Spirit produce some peace in a person in their daily life? We're not talking about you know, in, the, in the eternal, you know, my standing with God. I'm talking about in day-to-day fellowship with God, Holy Spirit producing peace in the life of somebody who is ignoring the Holy Spirit, ignoring their conscience, and their conscience is becoming weaker and weaker. Amen. It's not going to be a peace. That, they may have peace, but it'll be a false peace. Because any time that they begin to think and pray to the Lord, God, you know, would you give me peace in this situation? Holy Spirit's going to be bringing back up into their mind the areas that they've been ignoring that has made their conscience weak. So I, I told Stephen and, and, uh, and Chris that it's almost like it's, it's our way of having superpowers. And I really believe that. The idea of us walking around and, and being at peace with God and man, having our conscience, conscience pure, uh, I mean, it is the place that God wants the believer to walk. How many Christians have you found themselves... Uh, have found themselves in situations where they end up saying, if I would have known, I would have never done this. I don't know what I was thinking. It's not that they weren't thinking, it's that they weren't listening to their conscience. All right, so let's move on. So I talked about the fruit of the Spirit coming. Could it be that most struggles in life with depression and even, even the destruction that can come from a life that is, being, uh, that is in a state of depression can be traced back to the lack of love, joy, and peace because a person has not learned the importance of a pure conscience. You see, we try to find happiness in all the wrong places. If our conscience is, is, is unhealthy and it's not bringing us peace and joy from the Holy Spirit, we will turn to all sorts of things to try to make ourselves feel at peace and feel happy. But how do we know, real quick, how do we know if our conscience is unhealthy? First of all, you've got to do what Paul said to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We know about this church. We read about this church all the time. The church knew they were supposed to love each other, but their consciences were unhealthy. There's no way the, the church in Corinth was like, oh man, we've never heard this teaching before, Paul. No, they were being held accountable, and they were, they were, uh, you know, God was trying to discipline them as His children because they weren't listening. Their conscience was unhealthy. They were despising each other with their actions, causing divisions. And Paul's statement to them was for them to examine themselves. Judge yourselves. If you want to know if your conscience is unhealthy, it starts with you having a desire to examine yourself. If you don't have that desire, 
then I don't know how, how much the rest of this is going to help you. You have to have a desire to examine yourself. David cried out, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. What was David saying? David was saying, I want it all out. In, you know, all the things I'm hiding behind in the darkness, I want out in the light. Let it all come out. Anything that has, that, that, that is, that has gotten in the way of my relationship with you, God, please search me. Search it. Get out the, the deepest and darkest things and rip them out. Bring them to my attention so that I can bring them before you and be led in the way of everlasting. We need that kind of passion if we want to have a pure conscience before God and before man. That was the pains that Paul went through. That kind of pain. That kind of exercise. He was constantly evaluating and examining himself to make sure his conscience was clean. Back to Genesis chapter 3. You remember, uh, you don't have to turn there because I'm going to try to wrap things up in just a couple minutes. The eyes were opened and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. That's the wrong response. When your conscience is, 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 if you're hearing that voice say that you've done something wrong, you've sinned against God, they hid themselves from the presence of God and among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. That'd be kind of strange because Adam would have never even dealt with this feeling of being afraid. Conscience will bring that will bring fear to you. The Lord tells us, don't, don't be anxious about anything. But if your conscience is struggling and your conscience is unhealthy, there's a very good chance that you're going to deal with lots of anxieties and be afraid. He said, who told you you were naked? Who did tell him that he was naked? Yeah. There was a voice that said, you did it. You're naked. You should be ashamed. Have you eaten of the tree which I command you not to eat? The man said. And this is the second part of how not to respond when, you, when your conscience is voicing to you that you've done wrong. The man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me fruit. The Lord said to the woman, what have you done? She said, the serpent, you, you deceived me. I know you know this, but I want to bring it back to the idea of the conscience. Did you know? that one of the primary ways that we try to rid ourselves of the guilt of our conscience is to justify our own actions and blame it on somebody else. If you do that, listen to me really close, okay? If you do something that your conscience said is, says is wrong and your immediate response is to begin to, uh, to hide from God, in times when I've went through my spiritual life and I've been, uh, you know, my conscience was really guilty, I had a hard time praying. And I should have had a hard time praying. Hide from God. Or, if you try to blame and put it off on somebody else. I was justified in the way I spoke to her. She did this. Well, guess what? That probably means, and maybe even most certainly means, you've got a weak conscience. Because there is no justification for your sin. You can't justify your sin before God by saying, she made me do it. Or the devil made me do it. 
They were ashamed, they hid, they covered, and they blamed. And this is a good place to start if you get a passion about examining your own life and your own conscience. It's a good place to start. Are you ashamed? Are you hiding? You can hide from God. You can hide from God's people. You could be here this morning and you're still hiding. Again, going back to the intimacy stuff that was shared earlier today. God made you for intimacy with the brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you always come up with excuses why you can't spend time with the brothers and sisters in Christ, there's probably, there's probably a sense of you're hiding from the body. So they were ashamed, they hid, they covered, they blamed. If you hide, if you try to cover, and if you blame, there's a really good chance that you're in a place of a weak conscience. All right, so I I mentioned that we would get into the idea of the meat offered to idols. You know the story, and because of time, I'm not going to read it, but it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But you know the idea, there were... There were two differing groups of people, those that, that had a freedom to eat meat that came from the idols' temples that was offered to idols, and they, in their mind, thought, There's no, this is just meat. Those idols are nothing. They're dead. They're, they're not gods. So therefore, it's just meat. And there were other people that felt like, that no, by eating of that meat, you're participating in their idol worship, therefore you shouldn't eat that meat. And we had two different groups of people. And this gets addressed a couple different times in the New Testament. The weak conscience gets defiled, he says. Their conscience being weak is defiled. They would watch other people eating of this meat, even though their conscience and their conviction, not from the Holy Spirit, but their their conviction uh, was that, hey, I shouldn't be eating this. They watch other people do it, and they, uh, they violate their conscience by eating the meat. And Paul says the weak conscience is now defiled because they did what they knew not to do according to their own convictions, even though it was misguided. A defiled conscience is one that becomes numb to the correction because it is now purposely sinning. So how can we get to that place to where our, our, our convictions become wrong? Well, we might even believe that we shouldn't eat meat offered to idols. How do we get to that place? It means that we're listening possibly to the wrong people, reading the wrong books, ignoring sound teaching, and maybe just lacking a desire to study ourselves, study the Word, test things. And hold fast to that which is good. But he goes on. This is, this is still that same passage. His conscience is weak, he says. But then he goes into telling them that they need to think about the conscience of their brothers and sisters. I thought this was amazing in thinking about this idea. He says, if anyone sees you uh, who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple uh, will not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat the foods offered to idols. He's asking the question, aren't they going to want to eat it? Uh, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. He goes on to say, for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but he says for the sake of their conscience and trying to protect them. All right. You might say, well, what about Ephesians 4, speaking truth in love? Absolutely. We speak truth in love, but even when we speak truth in love, sometimes people will have beliefs or convictions that are still different than ours. 
And they're trying to follow those convictions to the best that they can in their relationship with the Lord by faith. And we need to be careful that we don't you know, destroy them by not taking into consideration the conscience of these brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do I know if my conscience is not right? You need to examine yourself. Think about what Adam and Eve did. Do you do that? Are you ashamed? Do you run and hide? Do you hide from God? Do you hide from God's people? you try to cover up the sin? Do you, you know, are there things that you do that you have to you know, kind of undo or, 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 or cover up? You know, if, you, if you've made some kind of promise or you're, you know, something's going on and you try to you know, cover up that you, that you broke that promise or you, you know, whatever it is, if you try to cover it up, you might want to think through how healthy your conscience is. If you assume that you're typically right in most situations, you probably have a weak conscience. Don't assume that I'm right. You continually test yourself and test the things. Look to God's Word. Always look to God's Word. Don't just assume that you're right. Paul worked hard to keep his conscience pure. He judged himself so others would not need to judge him. If you spend more time looking and judging others, that was that little girl illustration that I gave towards the beginning. If you spend more time looking at others and judging them rather than searching your own heart for areas that need to change, you probably have a weak conscience. You would rather look at others than to look at yourself. And side note, that's another way that we try to hide. We hide our sin from, you know, we we feel guilty, but we make ourselves feel better by looking at how bad other people are. And I think, I think we're guilty of that way too often. I've been around folks before where maybe I could tell that their conscience was, was guilty. Maybe times when I felt my conscience was guilty. And I would want to talk about that believer over there. I want to say bad things or negative things about somebody else. And really what I was trying to do is make myself feel better because my conscience is telling me that I'm, I'm dealing with something that I need to get right before God. But it makes me feel better to show all those people that are not right before God. Try to make myself feel better. If you, if you have to justify yourself to others or even within your own mind on a regular basis, you probably have a weak conscience. You're trying to convince yourself that you've done nothing wrong. You're trying to clear that out of your head. After you've spent time asking the Lord, ask your friends if there's anything that you see in my life that I'm overlooking. When's the last time that we've done that? When you've just gone to somebody that knows you and knows you well and said, look, I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm giving you full liberty in this moment. Is there anything that you see in my relationship to my wife, to my children, to the church, to my friends, to you? Is there anything that you see that you believe needs to change in my life? You've got to be careful with that because sometimes people will bring you stuff that's not scriptural. Yeah, I think your hair's too long. Okay. Let's, you know, bring me back to scripture and wash my feet with the word of God, not with the words of you. But asking your friends. Last point, and then I will be done. What do we do if our conscience, if we find that our conscience is not healthy and good? And I was going to ask the question, but because of time, I won't. But what are, I'll ask it without getting responses. What are ways that people try to clean their conscience? I've seen and done it before buying things, just trying to make themselves happy. Does that conscience makes you not happy? And they will do things. They'll, they'll hide themselves in, in all sorts of different ways. But what do we do if we are guilty? 1 John 1, 1.9 ties into this beautifully. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Continual confession of sin is an indication of a genuine believer. The false prophets that, that, uh, that are dealt with all throughout Scripture, that was part of the problem, is they wouldn't admit that they were wrong. But the life of a believer is we are people that confess on a regular basis that we are wrong. The term confess means to say the same thing about sin as God does, to acknowledge His perspective on sin. I'll say this, confession is agreeing with, with God, agreeing with God on uh, the past, present, and future of what He says about you and your sin. I agree it was wrong. I agree that you are cleansing, that you've cleansed me from it. And I agree with you on the path forward that I'm going to walk away from it and not, not do it again. And so to confess is so much more than just a verbal, yeah, I did it. You tip your hat and say, yeah, I did it. And then you go on and do it again. That is not confession. So in the life of a believer, confession is, God, I'm agreeing with you here. It doesn't even say to ask for forgiveness. I know the Lord's Prayer does, but here John doesn't say to ask for forgiveness. He just says, confess it, and you will be forgiven, and you will be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Our job is to confess it and agree with God. So, you, so a word comes out, of, you know, something comes out in your relationship with your wife, you say something or to your children or children to your parents, to, your, to whatever the situation is, something happens. The Holy Spirit reminds you of a truth. Your, con, your, your conscience tells you, yeah, you were guilty of that truth. And you immediately say, God, I agree with you. I agree with you. That was wrong. I confess it to you. I agree with you. And I agree with what you've promised to do, and that is to cleanse me from it, to cleanse my conscience, to cleanse me. The cross paid for my sin. I'm not guilty of sin any, any longer. From an eternal standpoint, I am, I am clean as I can be. But my relationship with you can be hindered in this moment if I don't confess and agree with you. And you've promised to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That, my friends, is the pure conscience that you had when you first believed, most of you. And maybe some of you that different situation. But I know when I first believed, I felt that. I felt all unrighteousness was gone. And I believe this is the path to, you know, you want to you hear about the revivals maybe going on in different places. You want to live the life uh, of revival? Amen. You can live every day like you first believed Amen. in the sense of the purity and the righteousness of Christ being, being uh, not bringing conviction to you, but knowing that, that the righteousness of Christ has paid for it all. I'm clean. And my conscience is agreeing with that because I'm doing it the right way. I'm confessing it and agreeing with God on the past, the present, the future of what He says about my sin. This brings us back to the place that we were when we first believed. And I know that some of you remember how amazing that was. The biblical way to handle our conscience tells us to confess. We are wrong. We confess it to God. And sometimes we confess it to a brother. Sometimes we have to go to a brother and agree with God and with that brother, I did you wrong and I'm sorry, and get their forgiveness. But that's how we have our conscience in a constant, healthy, pure place. Sometimes our heart, I'm going to have to skip over some of this stuff, but sometimes our heart, even after we've done that, this is what I shared a couple weeks ago because I was studying this stuff and I just had to share it. Sometimes our heart, even after we go through that confession time, and He cleanses us, all, you know, cleanses us and our conscience is to be pure and clean, sometimes our heart will come back and say, no, you're still guilty. 
And that's what I was getting at a couple of weeks ago if you were here of saying, don't believe your heart. Your heart is deceptive. Believe what God says. That's part of confession is agreeing with what God says. I'm agreeing with what God says. I've been cleansed of all unrighteousness. Amen. Don't let your heart deceive you. He'll try to keep you condemned. But Romans 8 tells us there is no condemnation. We know that. All right. If you get this right, I'm convinced it'll bring peace and joy in your life from the Holy Spirit. Could possibly fix your marriage if both of you are, especially if both of you are on board with keeping your conscience clean before God and men. Could fix other broken relationships. Could, could and probably will dramatically improve your prayer life. Help you have victory over sin because what you'll do is when you're tempted for that, uh, with that sin in front of you, you'll say, no, I've been walking with a pure conscience and I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now, that's not worth taking that from me. If you try that, it's not worth it. I know what it feels like to walk in a pure conscience, a clean conscience before God and man, and that whatever that is, is not worth the trade-off. It'll improve your testimony to others, even. All right, so what other areas? That's a question. I'm not going to ask for responses, but what other areas of your life could you see having a healthy conscience possibly dramatically improve or change or impact? And I would just say to you, probably just about every area of our life. So let's pray now that God would help us to take serious and make us into the kind of people that like... Our church was just bodybuilders. You know, we, all, we opened up a gym. I'm going to ask Steve, if, you know, can we open up a gym right over there? And we're just bodybuilders. But instead of lifting weights, what we're doing is we're lifting the weight of addressing every single thing that gets in the way of us having a clear and pure conscience. You can start this afternoon. You can start tonight. Just get before the Lord. Take care of the big stuff first. There's probably going to be some stuff that you don't even have to pray about. There might be some things that you just immediately just have to, you just have to agree with God on. But then begin to cry out and say, God, what else? What else? That's what I've been doing for a couple of weeks. God, what else? Oh, okay. Probably my next, you know, that's, that's another, another testimony story of just how he's bringing to mind people that, man, I, I need to get in touch with them. It's been a while, and I need to talk to them about something I did or something I said. So start with the big stuff. Ask God to bring other things to mind, and then just deal with them. Agree with God on it, and then walk in Forgiveness and cleansing of all unrighteousness. Walk in that pure conscience and be, be the guy that God, and the girl that God designed you to be. Filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do everything God wants you to do and your conscience not getting in the way. Okay? Before I say amen and let somebody come up, are there any, I'll, I'll be here, you can ask questions, but are there any questions or things that you want to very, very quickly say that you feel like needs to be heard by everybody here. If not, that, that doesn't count. That needed to be heard. Is that is it something you and I can talk about or something you feel like everybody needs to hear? No, I'm not talking. Go ahead, James. Go ahead. I was just going to say real quick, uh, I mean, you talked about this, but I think where we tend to get hung up is we confuse confession as trying to cleanse ourselves of our own sin. We, we easily and quickly mix that up. And so... That's, that's when we have to be, I think, aware of it. Yeah, the blood of Christ is the only cleansing uh, agent in the whole process. The blood of Christ. It's always the blood of Christ. And so, yes. Were you wanting to bring Romans 2 uh, in for the Gentiles, the law of the conscience?
So I was, it was in my notes, but it was on that one page that I got rid of because I, I wanted to focus on the life of the believer uh, and not get into. So maybe next time I teach, I'll, I'll talk, talk about the, the life of the unbeliever and how their conscience. It's even written on their heart. So, so even the unbeliever sees all of nature, sees all of these things, and it testifies to God being real and alive and the Creator. And their conscience even says to them, there has to be there has to be a God out there, and I'm going to ignore it because I don't want to know him because I know if he's out there, he'll, he'll want me to do something, and I don't want to do that. It's typically probably the way it works. Yeah. I just wanted to add the power of confession. Um, and with me, I have an example when I first came here and I lost my job. And there's some of you here that were here that week when I got up and I fell um, back into my old life, and I paid for it. God held me accountable. And I'm thankful he did. I lost my job, but I gained so much more. But I got up there when I came back, and I publicly confessed. And I mean, it, it felt good. I mean, it will weight off in the fact that people embraced me. It's a wonderful thing that that can occur, you know, when believers love each other and they, and they pull each other up. And I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I lost a lot of money. In the, in the ensuing years, but God added it all back in them songs. Yeah. And, and so, but I mean, it's just a powerful thing, confession, yeah. Um, yeah. for your conscience, for uh, to empower the body to surround you and to, to yeah. lift you up and to guide you. People took me to Hebrews 12. I mean, I thought I'd lost my salvation. I mean, God, you completely took the, that notion away, but yeah, yeah it's a powerful thing. So. Yeah, I didn't. Didn't put the verses in there, but I mean, there's the, there are verses that even tie this idea of the conscience to our confidence before God, our answer to prayer. I mean, there's so much involved in us just keeping ourselves with a pure conscience before God and man. So, well, Father, I thank you that uh, your word, um, it brings through the Holy Spirit, it brings truth to us. It's not a mystery how you want us to live. It's really not. Being a disciple of Christ means that we follow Him and we obey His commands. And I am thankful, God, that You gave us a conscience. I wish we could go back to the day, and we will one day. can't wait for that. There is no need for a conscience because everything will be pure and perfect again. But because we're not there, God, I'm so thankful for the conscience, and I pray that You would take this hour and something... Uh, message, teaching, and make this a lifelong concept, truth, that the people that are hearing my voice now begin to put into practice. Some of them already have and have been doing this for years. But help us to put it into practice, God, so that we can walk with you unhindered in our prayer and our confidence toward you. We want our faith to be sincere and our love to be genuine. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.